Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer. And joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Good to be back, man, for part two. Don't worry, I got though, my friend, for the nice introduction and also to all of our fine wrestling fans for tuning back into part two of our uh top 10 Japanese wrestlers and a little bit of a brief wrestling history, man. How are you, Professor? I am doing well, sir. How are you? Doing pretty good, my man. Doing pretty good. Thought of a couple things since last week's episode. Um, the uh, Come in Tokyo, okay? Mm-hmm, Manami, mm-hmm. Manami, Tokyo. I forgot Toyota there. The um, I butchered name a little bit last week, but I watched a couple of matches this week. And a lot of times on the announcers, as well as the fans, they go by their last name. So a lot of times they was going Toyota, Toyota, you know. So I was just like, okay, I've forgotten that. Well, it's in Japan. Yeah, well, in Japan, your family name comes first, and then your personal name second. Yeah, so there you go. And uh, didn't mean to butcher it so bad, but anyway, she's got some good matches out there, of course, uh, to make this list. We'll go over it list in a minute. And I wanted to tell us something just. It's kind of warm us up for Japan. Yeah. Uh, way, sometimes the way the wrestlers are treated in Japan outside the ring, like when you go around town and things, uh, or the city have you. It's really crazy um, in a way. It's very respectful, of course. But they have these boards. I must say it's probably about a, a board, meaning um, like a white canvas, uh, uh, like a notebook c- c- uh Composition paper, mm-hmm. but it's like a um, it's a cross between a composition paper and cardboard or a canvas that you would do oil painting on. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it's a actually it's about the size of a of a composition notebook paper, and it cost ten dollars each at the time to ten thousand yen or whatever whatever it was the conversion area professor, and um, I had two instances involving these that I thought I'd bring bring up. One, someone ran up to me at the show and, and handed me one. Well, I took my, you know, felt tip magic marker, or, you know, whatever, your Sharpie. And up in the corner, no one had signed it yet. So I just did a, um, a regular size signature like a Bobby Blaze, leaving plenty of space open, thinking, my thinking being, um, they're going to get everyone's autograph on this, you know, yeah, yeah. baby faces on it or uh, foreigners, whatever they're going to do with it. I just happened to. And so the guy just looks at me. And I honestly, uh, I, I look at him like, you know, hey, I signed it, and he just gives me this look like, like you fucked up, buddy. But it, but it, but it, but it, but in a harsh or disrespectful look, it was just like uh, disappointment more. Gotcha. And um, uh, he looked at, he said something, and then Willie turned. Uh, Willie Wilkinson Jr. was behind me, and um, I was selling T-shirts, and he was selling Dreamcatchers because he's, you know, he's Native American. And of course, signing the autograph. Well, that's the first one I signed of those. And so Willie, you know, he they had a conversation, lasted you know 10, 15 seconds. And you know, Willie looked looked at the thing. He said, Bobby. He said, uh, uh, this is for your autograph only. Um, you need to make it as big as you can because they take pride in these and hang them up, you know, and they collect them. And this is this is all for you. And he goes, uh, you know, these cost ten dollars each. And, I go, what do you mean do? It's really nice. Again, no, no harshness, not like that. Um, so I said, you want me to sign my autograph on the rest of it, like big? And he said, no. He went and got a fucking another board, spent another $10, oh. and had me do it, you know. So I thought, 
you know, he didn't, I don't even know what he did with the little one, to be honest with you. And, I, you know, the little one being probably, I don't know, two or three inch letters, you know. Just, mm -hmm. But he wanted a whole board taken up. And that was very cool, but I thought, man, the dude didn't have to go, you know, and buy another board. I, I would have taken it with double autograph, I guess. But anyway, that's one instance I had. And another one was uh, involving the same deal. We were in a town up in uh, north uh, northeastern um, uh, Japan, and we stayed at a hotel. We'd stayed at that's uh, Sasuke's home area, and that's, that's where the office was at. Well, we stayed at this hotel. And I went down to, you go down to the store, and like a 7-Eleven, but they, I can't remember the exact name of them. They're obviously not 7-Elevens, but they're kind of a chain store. And uh, they got private ones as well. Uh, the owners, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so you could put what, whatever you want. And this one particular store, uh, they, had, they had those boards up at about probably... I don't know, seven foot up in the air, you know, like you put, you see these old movie star pictures and, you know, they just had around the building, uh, you know, around the three of three the four walls, they had um, the pictures of auto, or they had autographs of each wrestler. And so when I went in there one day, the guy, you know, the guy asked me, uh, was Chad Collier this time, and uh, uh, asked me to sign one of the boards. So I signed it, you know, and, um, Thought that's pretty cool, man. Well, the next, so we're in the same town and in the same hotel, mind you. So, which is right around a corner. So the next day I go and there's my mine, uh, Bobby Blaze up there, and I'm with like Steve Williams and Terry Gordy, like in that little section. And I'm like, fuck, how cool is that? You know? Yeah. So now I, I kind of get that in my mind, okay? There's Gordy Williams. There's Bobby Blaze, and you know, a little bit of pride there. You're like, that's my autograph up there on this guy's wall. Well, <clears throat> we go out of town for a couple of days. Little beknownst to me, we come back. I, I know the town we're in, okay? Um, I can't think of it. Awate, I think. Yeah, Awate. Uh, so, but we have to stay in a different hotel, okay? The one we had stayed at was booked out or where it was when we had left a couple of days. So now, Chad's taking me back to this store to get, you know, it's like a sundry store or whatever to get some goodies and, and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, they sell everything from boiled eggs to, to fried chicken to, you know, um, uh, pork skins and all that stuff and sodas and beer and, and whatever you need, you know. And, uh, so we have to walk a little bit further. We go like down a street, over a street, down a street, over a street, blah, blah, blah. Well, I walk in and I go back to pick up what I'm going to get. I look up and I said, Man, they got an they got an autograph picture, uh, photo or the thing of me, the board in this store too. How cool is that? That guy must have been at the matches, man, or something, you know. So I start. I tell Chad, I said, "Come here, man." And I, and I, I just as soon as I saw my name, I blanked out, okay, because I mm -hmm. didn't see Gordy. It's like Williams, Gordy, Blaze, and then whoever else. And I'm like, uh, "Fuck, man." This is really, and so I was like, told Chad, I said, "Think this guy come to the?" He goes, "Bobby." This is the same store we was in a couple of days ago. I go, what? what? He goes, yeah. He goes, dude, he said, we're in a Wadi. I said, yeah. He goes, but the hotel's different. As you know, he said, we're in the same fucking town, dumbass, you know. Ribbon be like, you know, tell me the truth. Like, hey, hillbilly or whatever, you know. Yeah. Like, 
we have shopped here every time we're in this town. That's that, funny. That's not for yeah. So anyway, <laughs> thought we'd go into that. That's but uh, the owner of the place, you know, put put mine up there, and he put it with the others. And I don't know if it's because he put the Americans up there or bigger guys or you know because he had a shitload of them around his whole store. But yet a second time I I saw it, I thought well. You know, uh, different store. They got it over here too. <laughs> Am I, you know, it's just Americanized thinking that what they do, fucking Xerox it or something or mimic, you know, whatever. I don't know, but um, I just thought that opened up our show, Jeremy. Just a no, that's, little story there. That's yeah, that's really cool. You know, my my buddy that taught school in Japan, what his prized possession that he brought home from Japan is an oil mm. painting of Charles Bronson. Oh, okay. he went into he went into some store and somebody had painted a, a Charles Bronson portrait in oil and he bought it on the spot and he's he's had it in a place of prominence in every place he's lived since then. That's pretty hey man. Charles Bronson pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, Bobby, I actually I ended last week and we're we're continuing our top ten wrestlers in Japan this week, but I actually had a question kind of hold, holding over in my head here. Okay. In Japan, they sometimes have slightly different rules than American traditional American wrestling does. And one of the things I've noticed, a lot of them have a 20 count outside the ring. I thought that's where you was going when you said that. Yeah. Did you ever run into that? And does that screw your timing up when you, when you find a rule like that? No, no, because uh, generally it depends on what type of match you're in. Uh, you you you, you uh, as a baby if you're in a tag team or a six man you'll attack the heels uh the heels rather will attack the baby face and go outside the ring they give you quite a bit of time right there so mm-hmm. they don't actually ring the bell till you get in okay um and if you're involved in a match and you go outside no it's just a matter of time knowing that you know you can stay out there a little bit longer you got to get a little bit of heat on the guy a little bit longer you know so you've got 20 seconds so you know you're you might not go through. That's why you have time when you see like uh, um, uh, not when it's like a no DQ, say a Brody or an Abby or what have you. But you'll see it when they go out through the crowd and the fans scatter. You got time to actually go back to against the uh, the gym wall or stairs and and you know bash a guy there and then work your way back to the ring. Um, it just gives you more time to to let the baby face sell. Okay. Um, uh, I was usually heel on anything I did outside the ring. So I'll just like respect with Sasuke. Uh, I just follow him around and the referee would stand there and count, you know, and I'd follow Sasuke, you know, there's the wall, there's, there's the chairs, there's the wall, there's the uh, stairs and he's working back in, you know, and it could be 18, 19, what have you. So, uh, it, you just get a lot more in, um, you know that that didn't didn't mess me up at all. I don't think any experienced wrestler, uh, unless you was just totally like in your head going, I, I, I got to speed up and do this real quick and then roll back in. I, I don't think it's a problem. Okay, yeah, I was just curious because it seems to me like anytime, anytime there'd be a slight change, I I would probably obsess over it for a day ahead of time. You know. Yeah, no, it's not. It's really, it really isn't that big of a deal. Um, and that's a great question. Um, but it just gives you, uh, like I said, gives you more time to to slow down and get your heat and let that baby face, you know, sell through the crowd because they're so into, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, they want to reach out and touch you, so to say, or uh, scatter away from you. Depends on, you know, what they're 
what their deal is as a fan, you know. Yeah. That most of the time they want to get away from you. Uh, I think unless you're the the sheik and they're scared to death of, and they say you're supposed to touch something you're afraid of, you know, you try to run up and maybe touch the sheik so you can get some good luck or good karma going or something. I don't know how, but as far as I know, the uh, the uh, to me. It was always great with Sasuke because he was so easy. I just, you just follow him around. He had that full body gear on. You're just you're just tossing him. He's going through chairs. He's going up against the wall. He's he's he knows where the stairs are out or where he's going to roll back in a ring at. Very easy, very easy. So, um, and I would imagine the way I worked, had I been getting my ass kicked out there as a baby face, it'd have been just the same. Um, I would have had to pay more attention if I'm leading to get back to the ring, you know, right. as opposed to following. But as far as that goes, I would just been out there selling till whenever, you know, I got the Iggy to, hey, head back to the ring kind of thing or paying enough attention that the uh, referee's on 15 or 16 or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, good question, man. Well, yeah, it's just it was something I was curious about and, you know, probably meant to ask, ask last week and just never got around yeah. to it. Um, do you want to recap last week's 10 yeah. through 6? Yes, that sounds good. We had number 10 was the Gaijin. That was the uh, uh, American wrestlers. We just talked about some of our usual suspects on there. Uh, you know, our Hansons, our Brodies, our, our uh, Butchers. Um, uh, won't mention a few others, but, but we had several of them, you know, the Funks and Thez and d- different people, and we're going to go over a couple of those. Uh, number nine uh, was uh, uh, Manami Toyota. Toyota. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, but I didn't butcher it that time. Uh, eight, we went to uh, Okada. Uh, oh, wait, uh, Okada, and we just said watch his matches. Um, we had Muda uh, for number seven, and number six we finished up with uh, Jushin Liger, uh, and you gave some different variations of some different characters he had done as well uh, when he become evil. Uh, Liger, I guess, was a Kishin Liger. Yeah. Um, that you said, and that's going to take us to um, number five, where we're going to start off today. But Jeremy, what we have to do, or I'd like to do, if you don't care, um, I'd like to mention a time warp. A good friend down at Earl, once again sponsoring the show. So I'm just going to read this live, and you can uh, add in when you want to, brother. But uh, the time warp in Ashland, video games, sports fans, nostalgic enthusiasts, are you ready for a time warp? Jeremy says. Yes, he is. I'm always ready for a time warp. <laughs> there you go. Well, a time warp is a brick and mortar hobby shop with a huge selection of everything sports, gaming, and collectibles in downtown Ashland in two locations in the Ashland Town Center. And when you come out, Jeremy, we're going down there just so you know. All right. Uh, they've got vintage toys, sports cards, collectibles, and they've got tons of wrestling merch, people. Uh, it's the largest selection of memorabilia spit out there, Bobby, in the tri state area. Uh, Time Warp has an exclusive and extensive inventory of vintage and current video games and consoles. I know you're like that. Um, it's a 100% must-visit for retro gamers. Time Warp, it does, on a daily basis, buys your used, um, buys collectibles daily. They are open seven days a week, Jeremy, 363 days a year. They're only closed on Christmas and Thanksgiving. And, folks, if you're out there, you can check them out. On their Facebook page at Time Warp Ashland. Tell them that Bobby and a professor sent you there when you order something online. Or if you visit the brick and mortars here in the downtown Ashland area or at the Ashland Town Center, say, hey, 
If Earl's around, make sure you say hey to, hey to him or let the employee know that, hey, Bobby Blaze and a professor on a bell-to-bell podcast sent you down here and, um, you know, check out some of their stuff, especially some of that wrestling merch. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've kind of browsed through some of the stuff they have on offer. There's a lot. There's a lot to look at. There's a lot of cool stuff in there, so, you know. Definitely give the Time Warp and Ashland a look and, you know, check them out on Facebook because they will do mail order. Cool deal. And thanks again, Earl. We appreciate that very much for this week's sponsorship. Absolutely. That's going to lead us to uh, May the 7th, Saturday, May the 7th. The uh, second Bluegrass Wrestling Con is coming back to Ashland, Kentucky. And I will, at a later date before then, confirm who will be there. As of right now, I know I'm going to be there. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is going to be there and Sergeant Slaughter. Um, I'll just leave it at that for now. So big things are happening for the uh, Bluegrass Wrestling Con coming to Ashton, Kentucky, brought to you by the Time Warp and FTC. Uh, and that'll be at the Ashland Highland Museums in a beautiful downtown Ashland area where Magnum TA said he did not know there'd be a building that big in Ashland <laughs> or in a, in a city this size, rather. And on a Saturday afternoon on a sixth floor of that building, they'd be that many damn people. And we're going to do it again May 7th. That was pretty funny. Yeah. That was, yeah. It sure was. All right. right. So, So let's. Number five. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on to number five. Why don't you intro this one? Okay, I sure will, man. Um, Let me get my notes back up Yep. (laughs) Oh, Lord, wait a minute. What did I do with my notes? I'm reading a commercial here. Okay. Uh, Number five is going to be Tiger Tiger Mask. Um, I've got mine up, just so you know. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can do the next one. Um, Okay. Tiger Mask. uh, Yeah. So Tiger Mask was actually based on a comic book where he was a professional wrestler who was a feared heel. Uh, but he turned face after he went to Japan, and a young boy said he wanted to be a villain just like Tiger Mask. That would suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sayama, the original Tiger Mask, feuded with, uh, I'm going to mess this guy, Kuniaki uh, Kobay- Kobayashi, uh-huh. Canada's Bret Hart, England's Chris Adams, Steve Wright, and the legendary Dynamite Kid, Mexico's Fishman, and the original Black Tiger. And Black Tiger was kind of like um, like Bizarro Superman. You know, like the evil opposite of Tiger Mask. So far, Bobby, there have been six Tiger Masks? I think that's what you've got down here. Yeah. Sayama was number one. Yeah. Misawa was two. Kanemoto was three. Yamazaki was four. Manoa was five. And then Tiger Mask W is a Bushi, but I'm not sure what the difference between W and six would be in this case. Yeah, I'm not either. I wrestled Tiger Mask number four. Um, hell of a good performer, man. Hell of a good wrestler. And a pretty good guy. He was uh, number four. was actually, I think, a son-in-law of Grand Hamada, if I'm not mistaken. They were kid in some way. Uh, pretty good size. Uh, he wasn't uh, as big, as uh, uh, thick as, as the, first, uh, the first two. Uh, but he had good size and he, and he could do all the moves. Of course, and they, they actually, you know, that's just not a spot they hand to someone. Uh, that person has to be able to do everything. Uh, uh, tsunami, Siami did. Yeah. Know, the Tiger Mask won. 
So they have to be able. To, they had to be able to. They had to be able to carry that gimmick on because it's, let's go to our old reference, uh, the, the Barbarossa. You know, yes, uh, Willie Nelson. You know, Barbarossa, the old red beard, carrying out tradition in Mexico. Well. Uh, and then Gary Busey at the end, you know, hurrah, the last hurrah, like everyone starts mumbling under her breath, you know, Barbarossa. God, that's Barbarossa. such a good same ending. Thing. Oh, fuck yeah, it is. Well, the same thing here. One Tiger mask, you know, finish, but uh, they have another one in training for two years or ready up and go. And the tradition lives on, man, uh, for years and years and years to be, you know, uh, for the wrestling, professional wrestling fans of Japan, their um, enjoyment. And um, one thing I'd like to bring up, I'm going to let you start it off, but it's going to throw a debate out there to you, and that is uh, um, Dynamite Kid and uh, the original Tiger Mask. Yeah, um, I, I rewatched that this week. Um, I, probably more clips than the whole match. I mean, kind of kind of went through it, but the speed that Sayama moved at is just mind-boggling. The, the, you know, we were talking about the switch between the headlock, hammer lock, and then the uh, drop toe hold. And yes. it's just, he looks like he's spinning in a circle, and the next thing you know, guy eats shit, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's just unbelievable. And Dynamite Kid is no slouch, and there are points in there where it looks like Tiger Mask is walking in circles around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Uh, a lot of people refer to, as we spoke about this offline, the uh, 1981 match from Madison Square Garden. Very good match. Uh, opened a lot of eyes. Got a lot of eyes on the smaller guys. And when I say smaller, we're just talking maybe a bit shorter in statue because they both have some serious muscle mass. Yeah. Uh, you know, strength and all that. But uh, as as professor and I was speaking offline, uh, off the air, the uh, we talked about that spot, how fast he was. Hey there, cow dog. Welcome to the program. Yeah, there uh, she is. The uh, uh, <laughs> If no. you watch those matches from Japan around some of that same time, 79, 78, or shit, uh, 80, 81, I was going backwards in time here, 82 yeah, ish, yeah. when you, when you uh, see them on, whether you watch clips or you watch the whole matches, uh, it looks to me, and, and uh, I used to watch these with my youngest son because he, he, he loved uh, Dynamite Kid uh, to see him work. Well, the. It looks like it's a struggle. They're not as smooth. The the, the match in Mass Square Garden is very good. They pull it off really good. But at this time, it's been refined pretty good. That that they're working work working together really good. But in some of the other matches where where uh, uh, Tiger Mass is so fast, like you said, he's going around uh, Dynamite Kid, headlock switch, hammerlock, drop to hold, boom, spinning up and and moving into something else off the ropes. And the Dynamite's countering that just as quick. It looks like. Um, it's not a smooth transition, and nor it should be, because two men in a competition that we talked about last week, and it looks that much more real you know, right. as, a, as a competition. It looks like they're actually, instead of saying, okay, and, and normally you wouldn't say this anyway, because if you're, I, I was taught in this way, I believe, if you're touching, you shouldn't talk because you're wrestling. You know, you can just feel where this guy's going. I feel where I'm pushing you to, where you're pulling me to, and we just work from there. Give and take, you know, whatever. So... Um, it looked like if if uh, Don, or in this case Tiger Mask say he wanted to grab the headlock, it looked like Dynamite made him. If you want this headlock, you have to grab it. You're gonna have to beat me, and that's why I think he was so fast or, or used all his speed there. You're gonna have to get me in a headlock before I get you in one because I'm going for something on you. And Tiger Mask got there first and grabbed that first headlock. From there, Dynamite let him work, of course, you know, yeah. boom, boom, boom. But then he counters off that hammer lock or off the, yeah, I think he comes from actually from a drop to hold up to the hammer lock. When he comes back up there, Dynamite reverses that, and boom, he starts eating him up. 
until there's a spot. So it's it, it, it really makes it, what we talked about last week, it makes it look like a damn competition. And it makes you, you sit there and watch as a fan, just like we talked about in Japan. And that's what they do. They sit there and they watch that. And they pop for little things. Uh, and then when they do something really big, they really pop it. Oh, ah, and then they give the applause. So, uh, but anyway, Tiger Mask. So we're up to Tiger Mask W. And I guess we may have should have looked up... Uh, I'm not quite sure what the W means, if, if that's six or or why it's a, a, a W or, you know, whatever the deal is there. Um, yeah, you anyway. know, I'm sure I'm sure there was something there, but I was in a hurry when yeah, I was yeah. putting this together. Oh, no, it's all good. Just the, um, uh, and of course, several people has been the, uh, the Black Tiger as well, uh, as we know. I think uh, uh, Eddie Greer was one of them at one point. But anyway, yeah, I don't know. Um, if you oh, okay. Ti means. Okay, so Tiger Mask W is a different character, but kind of okay. like a lineage character based off of Tiger Mask. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, so instead, it's not actually a, it wouldn't be a, a sixth Tiger Mask. It would be a first Tiger Mask W. Gotcha. Okay, well, yeah. thanks for clearing that up. Now we know, and that's uh, Koda uh, Abashi, right? Abashi? Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, so I'll tell you this real quickly too. Mm -hmm. uh, the obviously uh, a couple of these guys eventually removed their mask, but while they were in the gimmick, uh, just like Mil Mascaris in Mexico, the these guys, especially I was around number four, uh, never were out in public without their mask on, no matter what they did. So that's pretty cool. You know, because people recognize them as a superstar and that lineage, like, oh, you know, Tiger Mask comes to the door, you know, and he's looking up there and there's Bobby Blaze's name or something, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, and the people are respectful of that. They don't, they don't, they don't even, um, they might not have it even laced, laced very tight or anything, but they put it on when they get off the bus, you know, and, 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 and go into the store or wherever they're at, you know, they, they kept that mask on, especially at the venues, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, anywhere near the venue, whether they, they showed up privately or on the tour bus or what have you uh that not very many people saw them without the mask on at any given time yeah well the, ja the japanese yeah. and the mexican wrestlers take their mask pretty probably the mexicans a little bit more seriously even yeah, than that but so. but they yeah. both take them very seriously yeah. uh you got to look at el santo and mil mascaris i believe they were right. both buried in their masks right <laughs> i think you're right yeah but i just saw someone post that uh uh, statue of Santo somewhere, uh, yeah, Mexico City or something that flashed on my Twitter feed or whatever. Uh, speaking of Twitter, uh, social media, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Blaze 744. You can find a professor at the Geekish Cast on Twitter. You can join our uh, joint account on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze, and there's also a Facebook page that's Bell to Bell Blaze. Those are all easy to access. And if you want the most interaction from our um, guest or, or a, a, a co-host or star of the show, uh, just you know, write me there, talk to me on Twitter because that's about the best uh, I'm gonna get to you on social media because that's where I stay more active at day when that's Twitter world. Yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to contact him. Of course, we're on Facebook. Um, I try to be on Instagram, but I suck at it, so it's really not, you know. <laughs> I really. was actually getting good at it, but I was just taking too much damn I was just telling someone the other day, Jeremy, it was just, I'd stay on it for an hour, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I would limit myself to 15 minutes, and next time I was doing I look at it, I'm like, 
okay, I was doing 15 minutes four times a day. That's still an hour. Yep. Then I went through some bad uh, mental health deal, and it started to hit some trigger points. And um, I tried to go back on once, and I seriously have thought about this recently, about getting back on it. But I, I seem like I'm doing much better now. So I'm, I tell myself maybe I will. Uh, because I've met some more neat people and cool people uh, through Twitter to have Instagram, and but I I'm, I'm gonna still hold off a little bit longer. But uh, uh, I, I did enjoy it that a little bit too much probably. Uh, yeah, so I had to get off there. Well, man. you know, for me, um, you know, mine is supposed to be to promote like whatever podcasts I have going. So like this show, I'm pretty soon here that sure. new Star Trek show, originally Geekish Cast and the View from Dog River. But what I discovered was that pretty quickly my Instagram account became boobs and butts really, 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 there really fast. And yeah. I, I've been trying to clean that out of there, but then what I've discovered is I just end up looking at more boobs and butts, so I just, you know, kind of shut it off. Yeah, well, I was looking at uh, podcasts. I'd see that because I wasn't looking for them. I'd already seen them on Twitter, and I'd be like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm following this guy on Twitter, and now he's posting, I've, I've done seen this. And then, of course, I'm going to look at the girls, and I'm like, I look mm -hmm. at a certain type of girl. I'm like, oh, okay, how many times can I like this girl now, you know? Yep. Or, uh, and I had her on her pay it forward and, and, and be kind, uh, you know, a random act of kindness type thing. But also the whole picture deal is going to be, you know, me, my T-shirts, me, my wrestling, my books. Again, trying to keep positive, but when I look, look, and I'm like, I'm looking for I'm looking for other things than positivity here. I'm, I'm out here in fucking uh, la la land, looking at you know certain types of girls and uh, uh, certain wrestlers that I followed. I'm like, damn, I'm already following them on Twitter. What do I have to see? The you know, I was glad to see them, but I'm like, I don't need to see them twice. You know, yep, um, or that picture rather. You know, so I may get back on there. We'll see. We'll see, man. Um, no, it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. yeah, it's, it's cool as long as you can stay out of all the yeah. rigmarole and horse shit and whatnot. But, yeah. um, I you worked know. myself into a shoot. I saw a thing by Ricky Morton. I heard him say it so many times. He posted a little thing on Twitter. I don't know what he was going through, but he just said, don't work yourself into a shoot. And that's kind of what I did on yeah. uh, Instagram. I, I just sit there and get myself worked up. Like, get your head back in the car. And I'd be like, I see someone, you know, like fucking jumping out of a plane, 55 years old, first time experience. I'm going to do it for myself. And I'm like, don't fucking jump out of a plane. You know, I'm sitting there looking like, you know, someone I'm following, they're doing this danger shit, but it started hitting triggers. I'm like, get away from the edge. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Bobby, the person's fucking alive. They posted a picture. You don't even know them. Uh, let it go, dude. And I'm like, I'd be in a shoot, though, yelling at my phone going, step back. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. So that's what was going on inside besides the, uh, yeah, let me check his hot chick out, you know. Let's move to number four. How about that? Well, so we we actually have to kind of make a caveat here. Number four gotcha. and number four and number three are actually both tied with each other, yes. so we have them in this order. But don't don't read too much into it. There, these guys are sharing the same approximate spots here. But yes. who who do we have here, Bobby? We we wrote it down this way. We wrote down Noki first. Okay. Yes. And Anoki was amongst the first professional wrestlers who uh, tutored in the art of hooking and shooting by professional wrestler Carl Gotch. Now, Anoki named his method of fighting Strong Style, and they still goes on today. Uh, the method of uh, wrestling, which is uh, taught by Anoki, who was taught then by Gotch, they brought uh, hev heavily from professional wrestling, original catch wrestling roots as catch or catch can, or as one of the most important influences of the modern day.
they shoot wrestling. Um, the Adoki was fired from JWA for trying to take it over. And this is where some things start happening big time in mm -hmm. Japan. And I think uh, New Japan comes out, came out in um, uh, 1974, if I'm not mistaken, is when, when that took place. Or the break when he started New Japan, I should say. The I'm gonna let you read some other things. The only other thing I want to say on on this part, I, I, of course, I'll add in yours. Anoki, uh, um, you know, he's known for the fight 1976 against Muhammad Ali, and went out and got that publicity. What his company's just a couple years old. He, he's getting well known in this and that. Uh, when he when he wrestled, uh, fought. Uh, mixed martial arts, what you want to call it, uh, against Ali, the boxer, uh, uh, was the greatest for a reason. But who did Anoki have up in his corner? He had Carl Gotch with him. Mm -hmm. And there was an article um, that I think it was in like Gain Magazine. Of course, I heard, I've heard the stories. Uh, Carl first handled there's a couple really good shoot interviews on, on YouTube. You got to look them up. But he, he basically had his New Japan uh, warm-up pants on, I guess. Underneath them, he had his wrestling tights. And while they're standing there getting the instructions from the referee, one Gene LaBelle, uh, I guess Gotch <laughs> like pulled his pants open just a little bit and, and, and looked at Ali and said, just just in case there's any monkey business. <laughs> and he just kind of showed him that he had his pants on like, I'm ready to go. You know? Yep. Um, so... Uh, that would have been interesting, but not necessary, thankfully. Yeah. Because uh, that could have turned into, you know, a big clusterfuck as, as much as it was anyway. But they got the publicity wanted out of it. Well, they didn't get the, really the fight, per se, the way they wanted it, but they got the fight. Yeah. Gart, Gotch was there, you know, like, I got an Oki's back, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, you know, for so. anybody who hasn't seen it, if you're going to go watch this, just find the highlight clips. It's really not worth yeah. watching the whole thing. But yeah. if you want to talk about a ring full of some of just the baddest sons of bitches <laughs> walking the planet at the time, yeah. you know, it's easy now to give Anoki shit. Anoki's a bad motherfucker. Okay. Yeah. Muhammad Ali, bad motherfucker. Gene LaBelle, bad motherfucker. <laughs> Carl Gotch, bad motherfucker. These are all four guys you would not want to fuck with, you know? Right. And so it just, if shit had gone down, that would have been an ugly, ugly, ugly ass scrum in that ring. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Anoki has got a really, really interesting past. Um, you know, I'm, we're not going to be able to do it justice or even be able to scratch the surface of it here. But his family fled Japan when he was quite young, and he was raised in Brazil. And upon meeting Ricky Dozen in Japan, Ricky Dozen talked him into coming back to Japan full time and working with him at JWA. Um, he he actually converted to Islam back in the 90s, early 2000s. Mm, um, okay. He has had two stints in what is basically Japan's Congress called the House of Counselors. Um, he kind of ran New Japan into the ground at one point where he decided he was going to combine wrestling with shoot fighting. And he was making his wrestlers fight shoot fighters. And it kind of turned into a giant mess. And then a video game company ended up having to buy New Japan from him or the controlling interest in New Japan just so they quit running it into the ground. Now, of course, since that's happened, New Japan is one of the top promotions in the world again. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, that was just Anoki getting old, I think. You know, I mean, dude's got a serious, a seriously good style in the ring. You can go back and watch his matches. They are standout matches almost each and every time. Um, he did have a, a booking pattern of, you know, come out, do your shit. And then Anoki wins though. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, uh, the uh, referring to um, when we say JWA, that was uh, Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance. And we'll, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But it was around from 1953 to 1973. Yeah. That's, that's when we said Anoki started uh, New Japan in around 74-ish. But um, anyway, the acronym was JWA. That's what we was talking about was Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance. Yes. And uh, that will come quickly, up again. Uh, yeah. Yes. That's why I'm leaving it there. Uh, let's move on to the second gentleman that we're putting on the same level. Like you said, it's kind of a draw for this. And we just, that's the way we had him written down our notes or that the good professor wrote him up that way. Um, and equally important, uh, who we got? All right. Well, this is going to be giant Baba. Um, I would say if you're me and Bobby's age or older, you've seen Baba. Uh, if you're younger, you may, that name may mean nothing to you. Um, but he was Ricky Dozen's other lead student at the JWA and, uh, Baba upon leaving the JWA, Ricky Dozen's sons followed him where they founded all Japan pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see here. They He had the PWF Heavyweight Championship that he put together, which I believe was a combination of three world titles at the time, if I remember okay. correctly. Um, he held the NWA Heavyweight Championship at least once, and I believe that's an official win as well. Um, oh God, i got to go through so much of this. Winning it from uh, Jerry Briscoe. And... Uh, when he started to age out, now this is this is unusual for a promoter who's like Vern Gagne didn't really do this, and and Anoki definitely didn't do it. As Baba started to age out, he kept himself in the ring, but playing support for his young, younger upcoming mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then he was also a real big pusher of the uh, the big name guy Gene over there, the Dory Funks, Bruiser Brody, Abby, Stan Hansen was his number one dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, I mean, if you ever, you can hear Stan Hansen tell stories about Baba and his wife all day long and just like how his loyalty to them trumped his loyalty to anybody here in the States, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know I'm kind of, <clears throat> kind of cruising through this really fast here. No, that's okay. One thing I wanted to go back and point out when they yes. debuted in, in, in 72, uh, the, uh, Nippon television backed them. That was big. That was because I had TV, and you know that 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 was huge having some TV sponsorship, obviously. Yes. Where you could see all Japan on a weekly basis. Um, I think when I was there it was on Saturdays, and it was I don't know maybe a three hour block. Um, there was also while I was there because things have changed since 1972. Uh, some of the wrestling, though, there was a channel, uh, and I don't know what this was, Jeremy. Uh, to be honest with you. Uh, maybe like a wild world of sports type deal mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of wrestling, a, a world of sport of wrestling, or however you want to say it. It had one there. It wasn't just a All Japan or a New Japan. It was actually, they would go around and they would, uh, and that might have been like an hour program. I'm not really sure. I only saw it a couple of times because I saw myself one there um, because I was told when to watch it. Uh, and I appreciate the person that told me when to watch it, but it was a, uh, they would do indep- they would do any promotion and uh, they actually went around you know I think my match came on right after a new Japan match and I was with Jinsei, uh, uh, Hakushi or whatever and I'd had like about a 12 minute match with them and they put the whole thing on air for Michinoku um, and that was because Sasuke told me you know you're gonna be on TV 
and I, I was really happy, you know. But I don't. But I watched the whole program, and I think it was like second or third match right after, like I said, uh, New Japan. And I'm not quite sure. It seems like maybe it was the Wings or Rings or or Battle Wars or something. Another promotion came on right after my match, you know. Yeah. So I don't know if that still goes on. But like I said, TV's changed. But having that TV uh, coverage at the beginning is so huge, as we know. As we talked about uh, in the in the. Uh, like in the United States territories, you know, all had, you know, that little local TV and hit so many markets, you know, a 400 mile radius or whatever it was back in the day to, to cable, you know, change that. But the same thing in Japan, uh, uh, Baba was instrumental in getting, uh, having professional wrestling on TV. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, probably instrumental in getting the next level of having wrestling treated as a legitimate sport as well. Um, even though we're going to hear about the first guy who really did it shortly. Yeah. Um, well, what was the other thing? It's like wrestle, uh, Baba wrestled 3000 dates without missing one. Yeah. I hope you bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy was a workhorse. Um, you know, now if you do, if you do go watch his matches when he's older, you can tell he slowed way the hell down. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, that's just going to be part of being that big and that old, you know, it's going to happen. Um, but I think Baba's greatest legacy is, is setting himself aside to help push younger wrestlers that, and he also created what is called King's road booking. And it's an entire style of storytelling that Baba created. And if you ever want to learn more about it, Dave knows our friend Dave Lee, he has a mm -hmm. great video on YouTube that breaks down the whole system. And it is, it is a fascinating year or two long process of taking a guy from being the underdog to being the champion or the winner of this, of this feud. It is really, yeah, really, so, watch that myself. yeah, Sounds it's good. really, really cool. Um, and I'm not even going to try to encapsulate it. Dave does a great job. So check his out. There you go. Right on, man. Right on. Yep. Good deal. So, with that said, we'll take a quick break right there. Jeremy, how's that? That we sounds go into, good. Uh, the next gentleman we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of books I've got. Let me get just a quick drink of water here. Mm. Man, I was thirsty today. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so i got a couple of books out there. If you'd like to help sponsor this show in a small part, believe me, it's a small part. Uh, we get a kickback, 12 cent or 20 cent. It's debatable. But nonetheless... <laughs> What's happened is my books, what's happened. What's happening is I wrote some books and they're available at Amazon, but what the professor did, he put a couple links up there so you can get to them easier. And again, we do get some kickback. My first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots Will Travel. All you have to do is type in tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. It'll take you right to that book. And as I told you last week, Professor, that's where I do put some Japanese stories or sta stories about Japan in that book because it's called Have Boots Will Travel. And it talks about my travels throughout the world with J uh, Japan being one of those places that I was fortunate enough to be booked in five different times. So uh, for, you know, tours. Uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Anyway, the second book, I kicked that on too, The Educational Wrestler. Just go to tinyrail.com slash blazebook2. It'll take you right to the link, and uh, you'll see it right there. It's got, I don't know how many reviews that's got, 27, 29 reviews. It ranks in at about a 4.5, and man, I'm, I'm real happy with that. Uh, Pin Me, Pay Me has like 130 reviews, and I'm really happy about that. But um, I appreciate the reviews. Just ask for fair and honest reviews. Right now, I've been going back and forth with uh, a gentleman that's off of Twitter. Uh, 
that that's that bought my book. He put a picture about it, you know, hey, it just arrived, and now he's talking to me. It's um, I'm gonna go ahead and call him out here. It's at Meeple Mania, M E E P L E underscore Mania, and it's it's um, Meeple Mania, the game. And it's pro wrestling style strategy game top uh, in the developmental stages. Lifelong fan of professional wrestling, especially the 80s through 2000s. Just getting back into it. And he's from Britsburg, Pennsylvania. So I think he might be a, a, a Britt Baker a Brit fan. fan. Yeah. There you go. But he bought the book and um, has, has, uh, was kind enough to um, to post a couple of pictures when it came in. And uh, then, uh, you know, some. It, no, no bullshitting around, folks. Just letting you know, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, got this little tweet the other day. After reading about this match, it's talking about me and Dan Severn. There's a match about Severn and myself. And he had to go look at a match about YouTube, you know, with me and Severn. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, I saw another one this morning. And I said, hey, go check out the second match from Knoxville and uh, against Dan Severn. And he did. And he wrote in here, hey, I like the second one as well. Or also, uh, seemed like you got a little more out of them. And it's just nice. You go back and forth on Twitter. Like I said, I'm at BobbyBlaze744. And this gentleman, uh, again, it's, it's, I hope I'm doing this right. Meeple, M-E-E-P-L-E, Mania, the game. And uh, it's cool that uh, someone interacts about whether, and I'm an avid reader. Now I got my damn eyes fixed. And I even ordered some glasses yesterday, Jeremy. I didn't pour my Holy new shit. script. Post uh, first pair, post um, uh, operation. Surgery. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And I'm um, looking forward to it. So I'll be getting back in some reading again. And uh, it's good to interact with someone because I do have a lot of authors and other writers on my page. And um, it's good to interact like that. So anyway, again, both books are out there. Uh, I kicked that on too. The Educational Wrestler is the second one. You just go to tinyrl.com slash blazebook2. If you want my first book, it's um, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost of Travel. Go to tinyrl.com slash blazebook1. And that's the plug for that, man, because we got to move on here. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, all right, number two, and I know we're going to have to talk about him, <laughs> but uh, Bobby, here's a man I know you have met. Um, yes. And who the Japanese declared a god of pro wrestling, or a god of wrestling. They didn't bother yes. distinguishing a pro. Uh, this right. is going to be Carl Gotch. Um, yes. Literally the guy who, who refined and kind of created the system of wrestling that Japan is probably most famous for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he started wrestling there in 72. He, he had his first match against Noki, and he actually won. Um, and his final match is 1982 when he pinned Fujiwara with the German suplex. So he had a nice 10 year career going over there. Yeah. Um, you know, it was his cat style that everybody was trying to, trying to copy. And all the guys who founded the Japanese UWF were Gotch students. Right. Right. <clears throat> uh, let me interrupt. Brooklyn, yes. He did. He did have matches in Japan in the sixties, maybe as early as 62 or 63, but the big run didn't start again, like you said, to eighty uh, to seventy two, rather. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and he ended up having a coaching job there. Go on to talk about some of the stars that he coached, if you don't care. Uh, Suzuki, Matsuda, Sayama, Kido, <laughs> D- uh, Barry Darso. Boy, his name looks out of place there. Suzuki, yeah. Fujinami, uh, Meda, and Fujiwara. Yeah. And I mean, just yeah. a, well, and you know, obviously, you can put a Noki and all those other guys in there. Sure. But, 
Sure. These are just the people he trained at uh, New Japan with Anoki. Yes. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Um, you know who his number one pupil was, don't you? No, who's that? Um, a young man by the name of Jody Simon of Tampa, ah. Florida. <laughs> yeah, also known as Joan Belenko, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to read just something a little here from uh, the Tampa Bay Times. It says, Japan honors this god of wrestling 10 years after his quiet death in Tampa. This is from 2017. Uh, Carl Istaz lived in Tampa quietly for 30 years. When he died, his friends followed his wishes and scattered his ashes without ceremony over Lake Keystone in Odessa. Born the European, uh, the Europeans born Istaz, or more to point his alter ego, Carl Gotch, was revered across Japan as a hard-nosed professional wrestler whose style influenced so many in the industry that fans, uh, peers nicknamed him uh, Kimasama, or Deity. Okay, He was their god of wrestling, said Jody Simon of Tampa, Florida, a student. Fast forward 10 years, and they're doing this anniversary. I'll skip over some of those notes, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years, to, uh, Japanese media outlets attended... Uh, the, the Tokyo funeral, and they had this beautiful black uh, onks uh, tombstone founded by Anoki, the biggest star in the history of prof- Japanese professional wrestling, and a national political leader, uh, best known for internationally for his, as we mentioned, fight against Muhammad Ali. In addition, it had all these big stars there to honor him. On, I see, off and on for 10 years, Simon worked to see his mentor honored in Japan. Because his best friend in Tampa was Simon's father, Larry or Larry Simon, known in professional wrestling as the evil Russian Boris Malenko. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, Simon got nowhere until he got to the ear of Anoki. And that's when a Japanese wrestler named Nishimura got into it. And uh, anyway, it goes on a couple little things here real quickly. Carl didn't win a Nobel Prize, said Simon. Uh, but in professional wrestling, he did amazing things and made a lot of people happy in Japan. Uh, he was born in Belgium and raised in Germany. He represented his native country in the 1948 Olympics in both freestyle and Greco-Roman. Uh, he sought to leverage the legitimacy into the success of professional wrestling. He performed in Tampa and across the United States, but never achieved much fame in a market where glitz and glamour count as much as athletic ability. He wasn't as flashy as the other guys in wrestling his day, said historian Barry Rose, because he was serious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's more known was uh, Gotch had a temper. Outside of the ring, he once beat up National, every, every, National Wrestling Alliance World Champion Buddy Rogers. I think that took place in Columbus, Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. I think uh, someone blocked the door and someone walked out with a broken arm. Um, maybe uh, yeah, that's, I think <laughs> uh, that's what, Bo- what I'd come across. Bill yeah. Miller, maybe. Yeah, Bill Miller, maybe. With Japan, toughness comes first. Fans of the United States professional wrestling find it a lot. There's a lot of familiar in Japan wrestling, including the kind of popularity that draws in big audiences and money. Uh, promotions sell out stadiums. Grapplers become A-list celebrities. So, uh, you know, just just kind of reading on here, just let you know. Um, blah, blah, blah. Just you, you get the idea, man. But I get down to this part down here. 
Uh, he held the New Japan Pro Wrestling World title twice, climbing to the top with the help of submission holds that could make opponents cry out in actual pain. Um, he changed wrestling across Japan, Simon said. He cultivated that down and dirty wrestle on a mat with submissions, as you was just talking about. Wrestlers from all over Japan came to him to train during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and again, let me just finish this up here. Uh, Josh Barnett and Ken Shamrock trained in grappling and submission under Gotch. Um, and it just, it's just so much. Uh, anyway, talks about when Jody was 14 and he trained with him for seven years with every day. So he taught me more than anything in wrestling, and he taught him a code of ethics and how to be a man. Um, so, you know, he really, I, I heard about that relationship and saw it firsthand, you know. Um, and one day he told Jody, I'm proud of you. And Jody said, I'm floored. He never complimented people. Uh, he died at the age of 82. At his request, there was no funeral, no mark were placed. Um, and Simon says, well, there's no, you never know who next, who lives next door. Uh, here's this guy who lived in Tampa. Most people didn't even know, but in Japan, he was a God. So I've saved that article, man. I thought that'd be That's something a cool to share article, with everyone. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me share it. Um, because obviously there's not a whole lot more we could say, uh, you know, that, um, you know, we was just talking about, uh, coming in number two, that, sh that shows who changed the, a little bit the uh the face of professional wrestling in japan and that's what we're talking about there anything like that professor uh no just the you know it, it's it's going to be kind of odd to have a european in the list of greatest japanese blah 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 yeah. but it's only because frank gotch's participation was transformational to pro wrestling in japan that is that is his contribution he changed yeah, he the very that gotch name yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that's the other thing is he took the name from Frank Gotch, uh, yeah. who was like one of George Hackenschmidt's greatest competitors. And yeah. um, apparently the, the match where he beat Hackenschmidt, he punched him in the nose first. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's Carl Gotch. Um, Bobby, yeah. you met him. I, uh, yes. And, I wanted to say. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. And how did I wonder? I wonder how the professor, the other professor, felt about his son training with Carl Gotch. Well, I'll tell you a couple of stories. First of all, what I did the first time I saw Carl, I, they had a picture up um, at the gym of him doing it was a black and white picture. It's taken in Japan. Uh, you can see the the huge cell out on one side. It's a really really nice professionally done picture because I think it was from a newspaper. I'm not mistaken. And Carl has got someone in a beautifully executed German suplex. He's in a, his bridge is perfect. His head's on the uh, mat. The other guy's shoulders on the mat. And I, I don't know how old he was in the picture, uh, but it, you know you just see the the ring conditioning and the, uh, his muscle definition, and it's just beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, anyway, I was sitting there talking uh, to uh, Malenko, him and myself talking, and uh, Joe and Dean were in, in a ring. Uh, they had you know. A beginner's ring or an advanced ring. This was a Sunday afternoon. Some of the people had went home, kind of winding down. And uh, I'm sitting in these, uh, you know, fold up chairs. Larry and I are speaking to each other, just kind of watching some things, you know, nothing, nothing special was really going on. And Carl walked in and walked straight by Larry and myself and kept on walking. He was there to see Jody. And, uh, Larry looked at me, or Mr. Malenko, whatever, Boris. He says, look, right, just turned to me and went, he went, one tough son of a bitch right there, Bobby. 
And I go, yeah, I've heard. He goes, he's the man. And he goes, he whispers now because Gotch is over talking. Dean walks away. There wasn't much there between them two as far as I knew. Uh, that's a whole other story. But anyway, Larry starts telling about this story. Uh, he was training Joe, and he said, if you imagine this wall behind us, uh, if having an opening with one ring in there and one ring in here, and he was in there teaching the advanced at the time at another school professor Malenko had had at the time. He goes, just imagine this wall right here behind us having a little opening just to walk between each ring, right? He goes, I'm sitting here one day after coaching. I hear Carl in the other room. Next thing I know, Jody flies through the wall, not the door, <laughs> the wall. And he says, Bobby, that's my son. <laughs> he just flew through the wall. He goes, that's my son. Now, the way he said it was like a thing, a panel wall where you got the studs and didn't have no, you know, maybe some sheetrock and that's that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He goes, that's my son. He goes, but he just got back up and went in there, you know, he goes, but, you know, what am I, was I supposed to go back in there? <laughs> you know, whatever happened, happened, you know. But Carl was the only baby face in, uh, I think it's Richmond, Virginia, to come back out of the stand or come back out of the locker room when when uh, Larry got slashed with a knife, I think he had like 76 stitches down his back. And, and Carl came back out as a baby face uh, uh, to save a heel, you know, his friend. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the first, so that's the first time when Carl walked in, he didn't talk to anyone. Uh, he goes and does his business and leaves. The next time uh, I'm invited over to, Carl, uh, to, to, to Malenko's house, we're going to watch uh, uh, a shoot fight someone before UFC. Uh, it was something built in Japan. It was the, maybe the UFW they had just recorded over there. I'm not sure they had that. I think he opened that in 88, 89 at the egg dome. They like sold 69,000 tickets at the time, mm-hmm. uh, over at the Tokyo egg dome for the UWF, uh, where, where all these stars that we was talking about, Fujiwara and, and, uh, um, Malenko and, uh, all of them, uh, had that big show. Anyway, I walk in and there, first of all, I already knew this too. Carl didn't like guys with long hair. Right. He was, he learned to talk English from the military, the U.S. soldiers, uh, in, you know, uh, in and around World War II. So, you know, being over in Europe. And, uh, he always re- admired the, um, uh, American soldiers, you know, having short hair and then play, you know. So he respected that, not long haired guys. <laughs> They wanted to be, you know, uh, professional wrestlers. That, you know, not, in his book, two different styles. But anyway, I was like, oh man, I'm not going to over this guy at all. I don't guess in my mind. <laughs> but he was sitting in a chair in front of the TV, and I walked in. A couple other people in the room were all expected, you know, come by there and watch. And he leans up uh, to to stand up. He pushes off with one arm and you know starts stand up. And he reaches out and grab. I I said, hi, Bobby. You know, and put my hand out there. He grabbed my hand. I thought he could rip my fucking arm out of my sock. He goes, gotch. <laughs> and I, yes, sir. I know who you are, you know, and he casually sat back down, but he still had my hand. <laughs> and I just followed that hand until he let it go. And I was like, that's nice to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, you know? And then I went over and got a soda or whatever, you know, sit there like a chair, a couple chairs behind him was, you know, had my place there, but yeah. And he just, he started calling bullshit on some of the matches. Uh, think he had a little Irish whiskey going, you know, Larry get him a little bit of coffee, but he had, he had doctored up a little bit. And the more, the more Carl got riled up and the more Chiefs got red, you know, yeah. he was calling bullshit on some of this shoot fighting because to him, he was, you know, I think he was like 60 some then. And he's, 
he's ready to go through fucking TV and like, that's not how it done. You can't do it that way. You know, this is a fucking work. You know, yep. he's still getting hot. But uh, yeah, so I did meet him, and I'm and I'm glad I did. And also, when I moved home, uh, I had his phone number, and I called him several times. I'd gotten to know him not very well, but through Willie. Uh, because that's one of his students, also Willie Wilkinson Jr. Um, I did get to see him train some, and I knew his son-in-law, Masami. So I would call. Uh, I didn't pester him or anything, but I did call and talk to him about conditioning. I worked for Smoky Mountain at the time and, and spoke to him about just being on the road. And uh, I try to be very respectful and uh, was just being like a gentleman because, you know, at this point, Malenko had passed away, and that was someone that I at least knew that uh, I could just talk to 15 minute conversations. And that's that, you know, yeah. um, not deep conversation, but just conditioning. You got to do this, you know, uh, how about this? How's this going? How is it up these days? You know, just very casual, uh, very polite, very respectful. And I'm glad I made those calls. And it's probably three calls, maybe four. This all took place over maybe from uh, 95-ish to probably 97-ish maybe. Just, you know what I'm saying, maybe 96 actually. I lie. Maybe 95, 96, about four calls. So a couple of times a year. But, yeah, anyway, so there it is about Carl Gosh. And the reason I spoke so much about that, because you're going to bring up number one, and you mm -hmm. can talk a hell of a lot more about number one, probably more than I did about number two. But uh, uh, you're going to smart me about this uh, gentleman, too. I did a little bit of research doing this in the past because you said, I think one day I'm going to do something on this, Bobby. And I was like, well, when you do, I think it'll be good. So who's number one? All right. So number one is going to be Ricky Dozen, um, literally the first name in Japanese pro wrestling. Um, he kind of came onto the scene post-World War II. And Japan was was a beaten dog at this point. I mean, we'd bombed them with the nuclear bombs. The only time in history that had ever been done. Uh, they were under a military dictatorship of, of our governors at that point. Um, Ricky Dozen comes onto the scene as a pro wrestler, a Japanese hero, where they bring in big name gaijin wrestlers, and he would beat them. He would get the win. And this this elevated him to to a level of stardom that was kind of unknown at the time. So he was the guy that founded, um, was it, uh, what were we calling that, JPW? No, wait. Yes. JWA? No, JPW. Yes, oh, JWA, that was it. Um, and he started, you know, he got wrestling on TV. He would go around and face the big names. He'd traveled the world and bring in the biggest name, uh, Western wrestlers for him to wrestle and defeat. Um, he started under the name Mitsuhiro Matsunaga. He changed it to Masahiko Kimura. Um, he got into buying nightclubs and, uh, property. So he was getting to the point where he was really, really, really wealthy. And then in 1963, uh, he was leaving one of his nightclubs, pissed the dude off. Dude was a member of a uh, organized crime family. And so he shanked, uh, Ricky Dozen. Uh, Ricky Dozen was supposed to take it easy for a while, but he decided after he got stitched up, he was going to go back to drinking and cavorting and, uh, doing his regular nightly thing, got an infection and passed away. After his death, it turned out that, um, Masahiko Kimura was actually Korean and his family had sent him to escape the poverty in Korea to Japan at the age of 11, where he was folded into Japanese society completely. Uh, Koreans at this point were a second-class citizen to Japan. Um, they'd almost, I mean, Korea was almost conquered by Japan, basically, wholesale. 
Uh, so he hid his, his Korean roots and he adopted to Japanese uh, lifestyle completely. And until he died, nobody knew. And some people will still say that's not true. And then it also turned out he may have had a second family, which if you know the Japanese at all, if that kind of shit gets out, that would be really frowned upon as well. Um, his two biggest students, Bobby, were Antonio Noki and Jayan Baba. There you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who we who had come up? Yep. Who uh, would go on to try? I believe they tried to keep the JWA going uh, with um, Ricky Dozen's sons, but it just wasn't working out. So they, uh, uh, Anoki got fired for basically trying to do a hostile takeover of the JWA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anoki gets fired. Giant Baba leaves with, um, well, they, they basically fold up the JWA. Yeah. And uh, Ricky Dozen's sons go with Baba and they form All Japan Pro Wrestling. And that is the birth of pro wrestling in Japan, essentially. There you go, man. Yeah. Very good. Now, I had one question. I think we talked about this off the air, and it's really, it, it's it's a little bit irrelevant as to yes or no. Mm-hmm. But I heard that this guy, and I can't remember where I read it at uh, or heard it from, that the guy pissed on the, the uh, knife when he stabbed him. And that really, I guess, set off the infection too. I don't, I don't know. It seems to me once you go to the hospital to clean the infection out, no matter what or not, uh, just maybe one of those, you know, uh, stories so, that, that makes it better. I don't, not that it makes it better. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, so Bobby, I know you're, what you're telling us is true. He did get shanked and, and he come back out thinking he's going to be all right and it got infection either way. Yeah. So I would say that was probably just something that was said. Um, first off the Yakuza made the guy who stabbed him apologize, uh, because they're like, dude, that's Ricky Dozen. You don't fuck with Ricky Dozen. (laughs) Um, but secondly, um, if you piss on a blade, urine is sterile when it leaves the body. Okay. Um, so I would say that's, yeah, I would say that is probably not true. Um, just because if, if it dried, then bacteria could start to live on it. But if it dried, I would say you're not putting it into somebody with a stab wound. So I'm thinking what's happened is in translation, lost in translation here, professor, Mm -hmm. someone said that the way you said it today was he pissed someone off and got shanked. See that or, you know, yeah. so you got the piss and then you got the stabbing. So someone could have said in Lost in Translation, oh, yeah, the guy peed on it. They, they, it's one of those things, a telephone game, you know, like yep. I told you this and you tell me that. I was just curious. I, I, I believe your take on it. I was just curious about that. And, again, what you said makes so much more sense. Uh, and I know it's a little bit off, off topic there about that. But here's the thing, man. This, this list was so fun to do. I hope our fans were, was happy with it. Um, we knew, uh, going into this thing, it's going to probably be a two-parter and I think we've done it justice. I really do hope that the people, if you didn't know a lot about Japanese wrestling, I hope you learned something and enjoyed it. And also I'm going to go back over our social media. I can be found at Bobby blaze, seven forty four on Twitter. Jeremy can be found at the geekish cast or go to Twitter or Facebook to the bell to bell blaze. And uh, hit us up there with any information you'd like to share or any questions you have, we can answer them uh, about this Japanese professional wrestling. And um, I have 
thoroughly enjoyed the last two weeks. I enjoy every week, but especially the last two weeks because of my connection to Japan. And Professor, I appreciate you for putting all your effort into this homework that we've done with these notes. And I knew you would know so much more about Ricky Dozen. And I'm glad I got to uh, to, to give Carl some credit. And, and it all worked out that way. Yeah. So um, thank you very much, man. I, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as you and I did doing it. I really do. Yeah, I, I do as well. Um, everybody out there listening, if you could remember to go rate, like, review, and whatever, wherever you listen to our show, it would help us out a lot. We're kind of plateaued as far as listeners. And yep. we need to either see some growth or we got to make some changes. So, uh, yeah, to, yeah sadly, to, that's what's going to happen. Uh, let me just, I, I yeah, didn't yeah. want to really bring this up on there, but here, here's what's happening. You know, I look at the, um, the writings when they come out on my, uh, uh, gimmick weekly. Um, what the hell I get on Monday mornings where, where last week's show was at or, or what have you. Um, and we're kind of plateauing, like you said, and, um, Man, we you know we need to do something or probably uh, chartable chartable digest. We have been going down a little bit, Professor, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're involved with the the uh, Star Wars, and I wish you nothing but success in that. So it has no bearing on this show whatsoever, as far as our writing, nothing like that. We're still trying to put out a quality product. We're going to try to run this thing to at least the end of May and see what happens. Does that sound good to you? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I we was going to talk about off the air, but we just brought it up. Let's clear it out of the air now. Um, we hope you like the show. Go out there and again give us a fair and honest review. And um, you know, if not, we just got to make some changes, man. We you know that's all there is to it. But uh, there, again, let me throw this out there for anything. If something does happen, there's no heat between the professor and myself. Nope. Nothing like that. It's just just uh, time consuming and put the effort into it and, and topics and stuff. We we want it to be good for the fans. Uh, we love what we're doing, but we're just kind of just we're kind of just stuck there right now, man. So um, if you can retweet us on Twitter and and uh, you know help us out a little bit, and if not, we'll see what happens. You know, in the meantime, we got some good shit planned. Yeah, it, yeah. You know. Well, are we um, are we doing Mexico next? Oh, well, see, uh, you brought that up on the air. I don't. That's scary to me. There's yeah. so much rich history there. I don't know what if we can get it all done in one week. Maybe okay, no, you know what? Project, we, yeah, you know? we should we should wait. <laughs> we should take a couple weeks to put that together. Yeah, that may take um, some time to put together. And yeah. a two-parter, probably. Oh, know? it's yeah. But, these... but we have talked about that. Yes, just sir, to answer your question. We did talk about Mexico being next on a country revisited in professional wrestling, but I think it's going to be take a little bit longer than a week to re- research and also probably two episodes. Oh, you know so, what'd be fun? Yeah. You know what'd be fun, Bobby? What venues? Okay, I thought we visited a couple. We did a couple, but we've never done a top yeah, ten on top them. I don't 10. think. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right because we had the Olympic Auditorium following us back for a while there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the Mid South Coliseum. So yeah, we can start our top ten on that, and maybe that'll be next week's topic. How's that? That sounds that sounds good, and, and that right. sounds yeah right. okay. So join us next week when we talk about top ten wrestling venues. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. See you at the matches, wrestling fans. For myself, uh, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, the late Tex Johnson, my very noisy little dog, cow dog over here, and and now she's looking at me, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>